All right, take your Bibles, which I hope are in front of you, and open to Romans chapter 2. Last week, uh, we spent all of our time uh, breaking down verses 12 and 13, which are really the preface for verses 12 through 16, which we will finish this morning. And so continuing Paul's thoughts here on the sinfulness of man, in addition to the consequences of that sin, which actually he began discussing all the way back in verse 5, he picks up here in this section by looking at this from a different angle, looking at the consequences of sin and the consequences of sin from a different perspective. And so focusing on God's judgment for the unbeliever, the one who rejects the forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul looks at it here in verses 12 and 13 from two points, from a Jewish standpoint as well as from a Gentile standpoint. And the point being is that judgment is not all the same. Judgment is not a one-size-fits-all. Just as there will be different rewards for the believers based on your life on this earth, 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that there will also be different levels or different degrees of punishment for the unbeliever. Notice verse 12, if you would, from our time last week. He says, all who sin apart from the law, in other words, they don't have the law, they're sinners, but they don't have the law. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And so as you can see here in in this context, at least where we're at today, he's talking about unbelieving Gentiles, and then he's talking about unbelieving Jews. Now for the unbelieving Gentile, the one who sins apart from the law, the one who doesn't have the law, never had the law, notice he says they will perish. Okay, but he says they will not be judged by the law. God is not going to judge them according to something that they've never had. Okay, so if they won't be judged by the law, because this is the question that comes up, what will they be judged by? They will be judged by the limited knowledge that they do have. Okay, number one, That would be natural revelation. We actually studied this back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. God has given all of mankind a limited knowledge of himself through creation. You might remember that study. Unfortunately, most men rejected God, rejected his knowledge, and wanted to live in sin. But God blessed every one of us with a knowledge of himself through creation. And then number two, we have a limited knowledge of God which comes to us naturally in addition to the conscience that he gives us. And we'll actually talk about that today in just a few minutes, and that's in verses 14 and 15. But the point being, you do not have to have the written law of God to be responsible for your behavior. You will be held accountable either way. Now, on the flip side... Still in verse 12, if you have been blessed, Paul says, to have the law of God, which would obviously be talking about the Jews, you will in turn be judged, he said, by that very law. And so no different from the unbelieving Gentiles, 
like all of us, the Jews and the Gentiles, we all have the light of creation as well as the light of conscience. But the Jews also have God's law. They have been blessed to have been given the written law of God. As I had previously mentioned from Romans 9, I actually think Dave quoted it this morning, but they also have many blessings. They have the adoptions as sons. They have been given the covenants. They have been given the, uh, the temple, the sacrifices, the prophets, the patriarchs, all these things. They had no excuse, folks. God gave them everything. Understand that God gave all these things to the Jews and only to the Jews. They had it all, folks. No other nation was blessed to have what they had except for Israel. And still, many, if not most, rejected God. He says here in verse 12, they will be judged and they will perish just like the unbelieving Gentiles that we just spoke about. But because of their immeasurable advantage of God's blessing and yet still throwing it away, kicking God's word, his law to the curb, they will be held more accountable. Simply put, people will be judged based on the light that they have been given. And to help you understand that, and I would encourage you to write this down, to help you understand this very principle, uh, I'm not going to go through these again as I did them last time, I encourage you to read Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, especially those last few verses, Luke 12, 35 to 48, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 23, and lastly, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. All of these, these three will give you the very principle that I just mentioned. And by the way, it will take you less than five minutes, but it'll give you a better grasp as you look at those and go, oh, I see that, or I never, I never understood that, or I never saw, noticed that before. It's important that we look at those scriptures, okay? So therefore, unbelievers with a greater knowledge of God's revelation will have to answer for their lack of response to that revelation. MacArthur, he quotes it very boldly. He says, though all unbelievers will be there, the hottest part of hell will be reserved for those who have wasted the greatest spiritual opportunity. Well, if that wasn't convicting enough, he then went on into verse 13, and he said, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And so as we just discussed, if there was anyone out there who heard the law, right, it was obviously the Jews, Okay, because they were the ones who the law was given to. If anybody had heard it, it's them. They grew up hearing the law, right? Their parents taught them the law. They would later, as they got older, go to the synagogues over and over and over and hear the law of God. Some of them would even copy it, right? We know them as scribes. Some people even memorized different parts of the law. But yet Paul makes it very clear that they, along with anybody else for that matter, are not righteous because of it. I don't care how much you've heard, 
It's great. I don't care how much you've memorized. That's awesome. I don't care how many times you went to the synagogue or people go to church today. That doesn't make you righteous in the sight of God, he says. And folks, this is no different than what James talks about in chapter 1, verse 22. Many of you know this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Okay? Don't just listen to it and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Folks, how many Jews, or for that matter, even professing Christians, have deceived, if not flat out lied to themselves, thinking they are right with God because of their head knowledge or because they went to church or because they knew the law, whatever your situation is. They all think, oh, I'm right with God. I'm heaven bound. And yet they're lost. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says the one, Jesus says, the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is not the one who professes Christianity. It's not the one who claims to be a Christian. Not the one who just says, oh, sure, I'm a Christian. That's not the one. But just like Paul says right here in Romans 2, it's the one who does, it's the one who obeys the will of God. See? Your faith is evidenced in what you do, not in what you read, not in what you memorize, not just simply what comes out of your mouth. The reality is your obedience. Not to say, oh, but God, I, I, I went to church, or God, I went to the synagogue, and I memorized the law. God, I know John 3.16. He says, that's not going to make you righteous in the sight of God. Okay? This is a very important point to grasp if you're a Jew during this time or certainly uh, uh, for anybody today who think they're Christians, but yet they deceive themselves. Now, this morning, we're going to be moving right into verses 14 through 16, and we're going to simply continue on in the same context, okay? And because of that, I'm going to read the whole text I'm going to read verses 12 all the way through 16, just so we can keep the flow here, okay? So starting in verse 12, he says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous verse 14. And by the way, verses 14 and 15, if you happen to have the NIV, you'll notice it has parentheses around it. There's a reason for that, and I'll mention that in a little bit. But starting in verse 14, he says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since or because they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So as we read earlier there in verses 12 and 13, we can see that there is going to be a judgment 
for the unbelieving Gentiles as well as for the unbelieving Jews. But the Jews will be held to a higher standard because it was them, and them alone for that matter, who were actually given the law of God. The written law, the Mosaic law, that was given to the Jews only. They had it at their fingertips. They had God's moral standards. And once again, they had no excuse. Okay? Having said that, with the unbelieving Gentiles not being blessed to have God's law, their judgment will be based on a different standard. And that is where Paul decides to go now as he expands, just to give us a little bit more clarity. So read with me one more time as we begin in verse 14. He says, Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature... The things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So Paul here makes it very clear that the Gentiles do not have the law. Matter of fact, he actually says it twice in this one verse. He begins by saying it, right? Indeed, they do not have the law, the Gentile. He ends it the same way, even though they do not have the law, okay? And then, of course, that comes right back after he started in verse 12 when he said the same thing. He says, these people, meaning the Gentiles, are apart from the law. Or maybe some of your translations will say they are without the law. That's the Greek word uh, onomos, okay? Uh, Nomos means law. The A, of course, negates it. No law. Without the law, you don't have the law, okay? So it's very clear. He says three times, Three times in three verses that the Gentiles do not have the law, and therefore, as he already stated in verse 12, they will not be judged by the law. Okay? And so I think Paul has made that crystal clear. That being said, they are not somehow off the hook. Just like the Jews, there is no free ride, as you know. Okay? So he says here in verse 14, they, meaning the unbelieving Gentiles, are a law for themselves. There's no free ride because they didn't have the written law of Moses like everybody else did, because he says they are a law for themselves. He didn't say they're the law. He says they are a law for themselves. Now, if you don't know what that means, here's the great news. He tells us what that means right here in verse 14, right? What does he say? He says, they do by nature the things that are required by the law. They're a law within themselves because they do by nature the things that are already required in the law. If I may add, even though they don't have the law, okay? So despite their apparent disadvantage of not possessing the law of God, he says they do what the law requires. Did you see that? Now, don't misunderstand me when I say that. It doesn't mean they intrinsically know all of God's law. But it does mean that they naturally, or as Paul says here, by nature, they naturally have God's law within them. They have a limited knowledge of God's law by knowing right and wrong. Okay? 
even though some may not have the written law of God, within mankind, he's saying, is a basic moral law, an internal system of ethics that, if you will, parallels some of what has been written in the Word of God. They know it here. For example, folks, I mean, how many atheistic countries are there in this world? We have lots of countries in this world. How many atheistic countries are in this world today? They do not believe in God. They obviously do not believe in God's word. There is no higher authority. There is no moral standard. There's nothing, right? They don't even believe in God. There is no other standard out there. But yet, they'll say that stealing is wrong. They'll say that murder is wrong. They'll say that rape is wrong. Okay? They'll also say that, you know what? Taking care of the elderly is the right thing to do. Respecting your parents is the right thing to do. You should care for the needy in your community because it's the right thing to do. There may even be some out there, and I'm sure there are, who will actually stop a crime from being committed because they know it's wrong. Is it beginning to make sense now? But yet they don't have any moral standard. They don't even believe in a God. But they have that within them. Understand, folks, there are fourth world countries. You know what fourth world countries are? Those are people who wear loincloths and still throw spears. They're still around. There are fourth world countries that have tribes, and those tribes actually have moral values, and they're expected to obey those. And there is judgment upon that person if he doesn't do that within his tribe. They don't have God's word. These are fourth world countries. They don't have any standard whatsoever except what's within them. See, despite the differences in, in, in people groups, technology, you know, first world like the United States, fourth world, despite backgrounds and different traditions and, and different customs, what all of humanity has in common is the recognition that some things are right and wrong. And folks, that's how God created us. As Paul says, it comes naturally. It's by nature. Intrinsically is what he's saying. Going into verse 15, Paul continues the thought, okay? He continues the thought by saying, people do these things. They hold to certain moral standards. They govern themselves under certain laws, even though they don't have the scriptures. They don't have the law, okay? And here he goes, because, here's the reason, because he says they are written on their hearts, Their consciences, he says, bearing witness. Their conscience is a witness to that. Okay? So by holding to or believing these good and moral things, the unbeliever, whether he he kicks God's word to the curb because he doesn't believe in God, or he's never heard or even read such a thing as the law of God. Paul says, because God has ingrained it, these truths upon their hearts, he says they are still held accountable. They know right and wrong. They don't know all of God's law. Holy smokes, neither do we. 
but they're held accountable because what is written on their hearts. As I said earlier, God has equipped man with a sense of right and wrong. And whether it's that Gentile without the law of God, as he's talking about here in our text this morning, or it's a person who lives somewhere in a tribal unit in the deepest of Africa, God did not allow them to remain all together without some kind of testimony about himself. He did not allow it. So whether they hold to it or not, or live to it or not, that's a different story. But once again, man is without excuse because God is saying, I put it within you. You may not have had the luxury as some of the Jews had. All the things they had, the covenants, the patriarchs, the prophets, the temple, that, and of course, the very word of God, written and rewritten and rewritten on scrolls and heard it, you may not have had that, but you're still held accountable because you know within you, because I put it within you, he says. Secondly, in verse 15, Paul says, what God has written on the heart of man finds a response in their conscience. It finds a response in their conscience. In other words, how do we, how does mankind know the law? How do we know right and wrong if we've never been taught it, told it, if there's never been a higher standard? We don't even know it exists. How do we know that? Because our conscience tells us so. Once again, built within us is a conscience. And that conscience, Paul says here in verse 15, does two things. Did you see that? What does it do? It accuses us and it defends us. We all know that here, don't we? Because we're human. <laughs> your conscience will defend your right or it will accuse you of your wrong. That's built into every human being. Whether you grew up without God's law or maybe like today, without the, the full scriptures, our conscience responds to us by activating guilt. May we know. Listen, folks, someone, someone who hates someone, who hates everything about this person, they hate God, they don't want to hear anything. Like, you see some of these people on TV today. There's some extreme liberals who want nothing to do with right and wrong, with truth. They hate God with everything of their fervor. They can be absolutely pierced with guilt because of some horrible act they committed. Because they have a conscience. See? Now, that being said, does that mean everybody's conscience is the same? No, it's not. Everybody's conscience varies based on sensitivity. And of course, that will depend upon whether your conscience is obeyed or whether your conscience is resisted. Right? For the one who chooses to sin, or the one who, if you will, resists their conscience, it will grow and grow more indifferent and insensitive and will actually stop giving an effect on that person. Because you're not even sensitive to that anymore because of the continued life of sin. We've all, every one of us here have seen incidents, read about it, saw it on the news, whatever, where somebody was just so evil. We've all seen it. 
And we probably all have asked the question, does that person even have a conscience? We've all probably said that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about an apostate. Apostate is someone who claims the faith but yet abandons the faith, and therefore they now oppose God. And Paul says here, what they believe is taught by demons, okay? But he says, they are hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They are hypocritical liars. They live in this. Folks, there are people on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, the largest, quote-unquote, so-called Christian network, (laughs) who that is. I can't tell you how many hypocritical liars are on there every day. And some of these people, trust me, they have no conscience. They have a seared conscience. They will live in a $10 million home, fly in five different jets while sucking the money out of people on and on and on by telling them lie after lie after lie. And they'll do it the next week and the next week and just rake in the money from these people and just continue to do it because they have no conscience. It's been seared. They've lived in sin and kept up in sin so long it doesn't even affect them anymore. They can scam anybody while smiling. Well, not wanting this for for anybody, Paul even speaks of respecting someone's conscience in 1 Corinthians 8, 7 and and following there. And he's dealing with food at that point, talking about food sacrificed to idols. He's talking about respecting somebody's conscience. Paul himself talked about obeying his conscience. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. He said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Paul understood. He kept an eye on, if I may use that terminology, of his conscience. God, Paul knew what God wanted him to do, but he also had to have a conscience. Paul isn't perfect, but he looked at his conscience as well. I have a clear conscience in what I've done. I've done the right thing. See? Well, as we close with verse 16, Paul brings this all back into perspective, and that is God's judgment. God's judgment. Okay? Now, verse 16, and this is what I meant a while ago when I mentioned the parentheses, verse 16 is really... Uh, a follow-up. It's following, if you will, verse 13. Okay, and once again, if you have the NIV, I don't think the ESV or the NAS did this, but if you have the NIV, it put parentheses around verses 14 and 15. The reason it did that is because it's still God's Word, okay? But have you ever been in a conversation and you're talking, talking, and then, I know, Ken, you understand this, and something comes in your head and you expand on that thought a little bit, but then you come right back to your original point, and that's kind of what Paul did here. He's, he's talking and talking, and then he kind of went off a little bit, but then in verse 16, he comes right back to his original point. So if you were, if you were reading it, like just as a letter, you'd go from verse 13 into verse 16, okay? I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Starting in verse 12, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. 
For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. I hope that made a little more sense to you as I read that to you. But I just want you to understand it's, it's, it's not an afterthought, verses 14 and 15. It's just kind of a side note. And so Paul, it's like he interrupts himself, okay? And he gets right back to his main thought in verse 16. So, verse 16, in dealing with judgment, which really Paul started back in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, and he went through this whole concept of judgment through verse 13, and now he brings it up again in verse 16. He's obviously, through that whole section here, he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. He's talking about the believer as well as the, the non-believer. He's talking about a judgment of reward. He's also talking about a judgment of wrath. That whole section from verses 5 through 13 and then 16 there has been dealing with judgment. Okay? So here in verse 16, dealing with the day he says that God will judge, he says there is an agent that God uses And of course, that is, as you see in your Bible there, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, John has also mentioned this in John chapter 5, verse 22. It says, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul here is speaking to those folks in Athens, if you remember that. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof to this, all men, by raising him from the dead. So he's telling there God's going to use this person whom he raises from the dead, Allah Jesus Christ, to make those judgments. What he will judge on that day will not just be man's actions. It will not just be man's actions, but what does he say there in verse 16? It will also include what? Men's secrets. Men's secrets. That word secret there simply means hidden things. Things, if you will, that we hide. Okay? These are things that people keep private amongst themselves. Let me give you some words. Their thoughts. Their feelings their desires, their lusts, their passions, their motives. Ah, Folks, God knows them all. He knows them all. How many times, maybe it's us, maybe it's somebody else, has somebody done what simply looked like a good deed to the average person around? Right? They go, oh, that was nice. But God knew the motive. God knows why they did it. And it may not have been the right reason, but whether it's the feelings, the motives, the thoughts, the lust, the passions, things that are within us that we don't even tell maybe our best friends, he says, those things will be judged on that day. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18, Matthew 6, 4, 6, 6, and 6, 18, God says he sees what is done in secret. In those contexts, by the way, he's talking about the hypocrites. He says, I, I, I know what you're doing in secret. Okay, you might be trying to fool somebody else, but you can't fool me. 
is basically what's going on in there. But he, but he says there, he sees everything is done in secret. It's the same as in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. God said, I, the Lord, search the heart. Not just the actions, I search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. That should make all of us a little bit nervous, shouldn't it? You know, we stand before God and think that, uh, you know, we're, we're faithful people. We're trying our best to honor God with our lives. What we do, what we say, what we watch on TV, how we live, where we go, all the things that we do on a daily basis. But there's a lot of things that run through our minds that we wouldn't want people to know about. There are things that pop into my head. I don't know why they pop into my head. I don't desire them. I don't think about them. But they'll pop into my head because they're there. It's like, ooh. (laughs) God knows these things. God knows if we dwell on them. If we go, oh, yeah, yeah. See, those are the, the tough ones. But God knows, and he says he will judge according to what we keep secret, what are hidden things. And so once again, as we close this out this morning, this whole section has dealt with God's judgment. He's talked about the judgment of the believer as well as the unbeliever. You might remember back in verse 7, he talks about the one who by persistence seeks good, uh, uh, in doing good, seeks glory and honor and immortality. He says he will get eternal life. Okay, But then in verse 8, he says, there are those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth. They follow evil. They will receive wrath and anger. We've also talked about in this section how uh, we've discussed the issue of a judgment of works. In other words, your salvation is settled. You're not saved by works. Okay, So that's already settled, but you will be judged, though, by your works. There will be rewards, right? Remember that 2 Corinthians 5.10? There will be rewards for the believers and that there will be torment for the unbeliever. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, that's the great white throne judgment. And then now, last week and this morning, we've talked about how God's judgment will not be a one-size-fits-all, will it? It will not. He uses the Jews and the Gentiles as an example. And man will be judged based on the light that they have been given. They will perish, he says. But, for example, if you didn't have the law, I'm not going to use the law to judge you. But I will use what you have within you, what comes natural, what I put there and placed upon you. Folks, there's a lot going on in this section, really really from verse 5 to verse 16 where we finish this, this section today. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about. If you remember when I started this book, I said there's a lot of theology. There's a lot of things going on in the book of Romans, maybe things that you've never thought about. Nobody probably ever sits around thinking, oh yeah, I wonder, wonder what the deal is. Is, is. is just heaven, heaven, and hell, hell, and that's it? Not necessarily. But yet it's not talked about too much, is it? That's because most people do topical sermons and they'll never get there because they're, they're not going to want to teach on that. 
But when you teach through things, you want to know what God says. And that's how we learn. That's how we get to know uh, the character of God, about God, about His wrath, about His rewards, about His blessings. So many, so many different things What we all see here in this text. But I hope by going through this that you have been blessed. I hope that you are building upon a better understanding of God and His Word as we begin to understand these little things that God tells us that we may not really have ever gone through or discussed before. But uh, the key is to build upon those and allow those things to change us and mature us as, uh, as believers in Christ. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll share in communion together. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today. Thank you, Lord, that we can get into your word and discuss things that, in my personal opinion, aren't discussed too often. <laughs> But we thank you, Lord, that as we do go by verse by verse through the Word of God, we're going to come upon everything, and we can't just dodge it. We thank you, Lord, that you give us a better understanding of judgment, of the word wrath that was brought up in verse 5. The believer versus the unbeliever rewards and sadly torment for those who reject you. And yet not everyone will be judged the same which would make sense to many of us. You would hope that one person who dies won't be judged the same as Hitler or any other evil human being. But Lord, your your judgment is righteous. Your judgment is just. And we trust you in that. And that being said, we thank you that even though everyone in this room deserves your judgment, through the cross of Jesus Christ, you has set us free. You have forgiven us, Lord, and that judgment fell upon Christ. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for that. In Jesus' name, amen.